This is a med-ed podcast where a group of third-year residents do a casual case-based journal club while one of their brothers records it for them. Wait, who's that? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, this is Ryan Dick Dan. Hey, Ryan. Hello. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Yay. Yeah. Can we get a brief intro? Uh, yeah. So my name's Ryan Dick Dan. I am a uh, MD, PhD student at New Jersey Medical School. In my third year, I just started my PhD uh, in a lab that works on DNA probing and molecular techniques. Right. But more importantly than that, what else do you do? Uh, I have a couple podcasts. <laughs> and the, the most important of those is? Uh, my favorite anime right now. Oh, nice. I was hoping you would say our podcast, but that's a, oh, also here's amazing. Yours <laughs> up there, but... No, no, no. And that anime podcast is gold because I guest starred on it. <laughs> you did. I you did. did. Yes. Ryan also does all of our editing. I know. He's amazing. The oh. best. Thank you. <laughs> We're very challenged when it no, comes to... No, you're the best. Could you imagine how much worse we'd sound if we didn't oh have such God, terrific thank editing? God. Thank you, Ryan. Not a problem. You want to give our disclaimer? Uh, yes, I will. So, this podcast is for medical education only and should not be considered medical advice. Our thoughts and opinions are our own and are not reflective of our program or employers or their program and employers. Uh, please, please, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and whatever podcasting app you use and leave a very kind rating and comment. Amazing. Thank you. Truly from the heart. It's what I try to do. You're a hero. Aw. You're when too we kind. don't deserve. <laughs> <laughs> no. How did I rope you into this? Never mind. Don't answer that. <laughs> what are we doing? All right. <laughs> it's my turn. Yes. Case today. Um, oh, ooh, I'm getting feedback as we speak <laughs> about where I place my face with the microphone. Okay. So, <laughs> you're allowed to laugh into the mic. But I don't want to cackle. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Okay. And For the listeners just, at home, we're all a little bit on edge <laughs> because we have our editor in the room with us. <laughs> I know. Could you imagine the principal looking over your shoulder as you're trying to incorrectly do math? It's even <laughs> that more nerve-wracking. I know. Uh, one plus one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can leave. No, no. Stay no. right there. We want we you to stay. You. Okay. <laughs> we need you desperately. Okay. So, this case I'm super excited about, and I hope you guys will be too. So... Uh, this is a 65 year old woman with past medical history of lupus on medication. Doesn't matter what she's on, but she is on medication. She presents with three days of watery diarrhea. Her blood pressure in the ED is 95 over 60 and responds well to fluids. Uh, you look into her prior notes and you see that she had one episode of C. diff two months ago and she was treated successfully with 10 days of vanc. You check a C. diff toxin on her and it is positive. So I love this case because I feel like I've seen this several times. How have you guys seen recurrent C. diff in your experience? I have most certainly seen recurrent C. diff in my experience. Okay. I find it particularly challenging to diagnose recurrent C. diff as recurrent C. diff because that toxin, it's like, hey, I'm here and mm -hmm. I'm still here. Exactly. Does that mean it's C. diff? 
who knows? We don't really, we don't have a way to distinguish as far as I know. Yeah. Um, whether it's truly the cause of the diarrhea this time. Yeah. Agreed. And, um, so I looked this up, um, just because of this case and it's a little bit hard to find data on how often C. diff recurs, but it, the data suggests that 20 to 40% of C. diff recurs and with each relapse increases, sorry, sorry, and increases with each relapse of infection. Did that make sense? Yeah. So each time you recur, your chance of recurring a subsequent time gets higher. It keeps going higher and higher and higher. Wow. Yes. I think that's sort of reflective of my experience at least. Yes. Just that's staggering. Those are, those are wild numbers. I know. So terrible disease. I really hope I never get it. Um, we will. (laughs) We're in healthcare. I know. I'm very nervous, but, um, okay. So the trial I am presenting is called duodenal infusion of donor feces for recurrent C. diff. Again, donor feces. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love it's soup. A, this is quality gastroenterology. This is right up your yes. alley. Right up your alley. Yes. Um, so the, the abbreviation for this trial is dip for gross. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, they could have done better. I get really sad that they don't have a fun little Hyperion. Where's or, your quippy I know, word? I know. We'll have to come up with something on our own and submit it. To, this does seem extraordinarily topical. Wasn't there like just an article about someone who got a fecal transplant and it gave them BRE or something like this? Yeah, you were very close. Yes. Thank you, Sean. So there was a recent publication uh, in November, actually, October, late October, early November, where they published two cases of fecal transplant gone wrong. <laughs> so and one of them, actually terrible, one of them resulted in ESBL E. coli bacteremia. Yeah. Ah, I see. Yes. Not so, good organism. So that is why this, that is what inspired me to pick this uh, trial. Even though it was published in 2013, I kind of wanted to go back and see, like, wh- what is our data on fecal transplants? And honestly, like, have you guys ever seen a fecal transplant? No, I, I have not. Yeah. I have never seen fecal transplant done at our hospital. And I honestly don't know why I'm assuming or what I've heard is that it's a little bit of a logistical nightmare. (laughs) To put it lightly. Yes. So I'm going to say that that's the reason. But um, after we finish this, I am definitely going to email some attendings and find out why. Um, But regardless, I think it's interesting. And... Ben, I was hoping that briefly you could talk about the IDSA guidelines that were released in February 2018 uh, for treatment of C. diff. Sure. So um, my understanding is the initial episode, um, you usually treat with vancomycin. Uh, You use oral vancomycin, 125 milligrams every, uh, every six hours or so or four times a day. For about 10 days, you can also do fidaxomycin, but fidaxomycin is very expensive. And you're really only supposed to use flagell if you don't have access to the other meds. Um, and then for a recurrence, uh, it's the same dose. It's vancomycin 125 uh, four times a day uh, for 10 days again. Uh, or you can use a prolonged taper. Um, if And that, that vancomycin dosing is really only if you used... Um, Flagell the first time, or excuse me, metronidazole. And then uh, for the second recurrence, I think that's when you can use a fecal transplant 
as another option, or you can, again, try vancomycin with a prolonged taper or fidaxomycin. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, from what I remember and read in preparation to this, it was crazy though. Like I put pa- patients on Vank taper, but I never really put it together how long it is. It's, it's so long. So long. Yeah. I, I had a patient for the patient where I prescribed it and I was like, oh, I'll see you in three months because you'll be done a week before that. It just, it seems so long. Wild. That is an enormous period of time to be drinking gross vancomycin water for yes also have you four times a day have you guys seen vancomycin i have not so i don't know what it looks like and i certainly don't know what it tastes like i I have not tasted i think it's orange it's orange i think the worst color to choose so maybe that was the pill but i thought it was orange i pictured it pink i don't know why like Pepto-Bismol pink? Yes, like pretty much Pepto-Bismol pink. I mean, that would that would theoretically be a little better. Like, it'll help my tum because it's like Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, maybe that is why. I'm just like, yeah. pink. I think of pink. Now I, I really want to find it. I'm going to Google <laughs> as we do this. Perfect. <laughs> From my little pink. bit of biochem experience, rifampin is definitely orange. Mm-hmm. But I think vank is just white powder because it's a peptide. But you could make it orange. I mean, if you tried hard enough, you can make anything orange. That's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, it looks clear. <laughs> boring. Bummer. Skip. Let's go into the show notes. Just boring old clear. <laughs> okay, so to just dive right into the trial, this was a open-labeled randomized trial comparing donor feces infusion to 14 days of VANC treatment for recurrent C. diff infection. Okay. And interestingly, there were three separate groups. They had the high-dose VANC group. So for all of these patients, they put them on 500 milligrams QID. Um, So if VANC is used, it's 500 milligrams. One thing that's important to keep in mind is that the majority of these patients, actually, I think all of them were recurrent they were recurrent C. diff infections. The only thing that they don't break down in the study that I could find is how many recurrence these patients have had. So some of them, I think it was their first recurrence. Some of them, it was their second recurrence. And I think that had to do with what physicians or in what scenarios physicians were referring to the study. So I think if it was a first recurrence, I'm assuming a physician was like, it'd probably just be easier to try bank again. Let's just do the taper. Um, and they did make that comment later on in the article. So anyway, they chose for the groups high dose vancomycin, 500 milligrams, four times a day. They did that for four days. And then they did a bowel prep and then gave a donor feces infusion. So that was the study group. Then there were two control groups. One was high dose vanc, 500 milligrams, four times a day, again, for four days. So exactly the same as the study group. And then they did a bowel prep and then they did another 14 days of vanc. 500 milligrams four times a day. So a total of 18 days of ink. The only thing they did in addition was a bowel prep. Then the second control group was just high dose vancomycin, 500 milligrams four times a day for 18 days. So the only difference between the two controls is the bowel prep. And they just wanted to make sure that no one was like, oh, it was the bowel prep that <laughs> that cured their C. diff. Classic treatment yeah. for C. diff. <laughs> I know. Um, which I, I honestly, I thought that was cool. I I saw nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's more work, but um, I like that. That's good study design. Yeah. Yep. And then the primary endpoint was cure with 
without relapse after 10 weeks of initiation of therapy. And the second endpoint was cure without relapse after five weeks. So basically two time points, the 10 weeks was the primary endpoint. And cure they defined as absence of diarrhea or persisting diarrhea explained by other causes with three consecutive negative stool toxin tests. So Ben, the thing that you had mentioned before, they they had to have three negative stool toxins. Um, and they basically had a blinded committee of two internal medicine physicians that uh, looked at the um, patients' reports of diarrhea and everything. They were blinded to decide, like, are we, con- are we gonna- going to consider this a cure or not? And then the relapse definition is diarrhea with a positive C. diff, C. diff toxin stool test. Any questions so far? That is so very interesting. I have a handful of questions. Yes. Let's hear them. Why 18 days? Mm. Why'd I do that? Good question. Um, you know, I, I honestly don't know because like Ben so eloquently told us earlier is that typically we use 10 days for initial treatment, um, which none of these patients are. And then the first recurrence, if they hadn't used Vank in the past, was a 12-week week long taper. Right, right. Um, so yeah. Okay, interesting. And then, so... Maybe they thought, sorry to interrupt you, but maybe they thought, oh, we'll give them the higher dose, the 500 four times a day and, uh, and do it for 18 days instead of the lower dose, 125 for three months. Maybe they thought like, we'll just see if this is better. Okay, yeah. I think that's a great comment though. Well, thank you. Well, and the, okay, so our primary endpoint is cure after either of these interventions uh, followed for 10 weeks and no diarrhea, n- no persistent diarrhea. And if you had, uh, yeah, and you had to have, have three consecutive negative stool toxin tests. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you'd be pretty confident if they have those things. That yeah. They've, they have not relapsed um, and they, and, and they give it 10 weeks. I'm in. Let's do some stool transplants. I know. Right. So exclusion criteria, um, and the, and I'll bring up why this is important. The, they excluded pretty much all immunocompromised patients, um, patients with HIV and a low CD4 count, patients who are pregnant, and, and then they wrote prolonged use of prednisolone. I honestly think that was just, they had one patient who ended up needing to be on a prolonged course of prednisolone. They're like, eh, we probably shouldn't do this. So kind of random. Um, they also excluded very sick people. So patients in the ICU who needed oppressors. They excluded patients who were going to require antibiotics for other infections that they happen to have, which I think is all reasonable. Um, I love the donor facts. I don't know. It just really was fascinating. My favorite part is they were not paid for feces. Come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I pooped in a bag. Give me some cash. I know. Like, oh my gosh. So <laughs> they couldn't have tattoos. You they could- couldn't have tattoos. Yes. That seems so arbitrary. Yeah. I don't. I honestly, maybe like hepatitis, they thought they were going to all of a sudden yeah, get a. And we, and we can't test for it. So. I'm kidding. We can test for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm honestly not sure. You couldn't be a man who had sex with men. You Homophobic. Could... <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about where this trial was done. Uh, I honestly forgot. No, no, forget no. already. I get why they're... Yeah, no. get it. They couldn't have recent needle sticks, no GI complaints, no family history of IBD or intestinal cancer. Cool, cool. Hold up. No GI complaints? I know. I'd be rolled out in two seconds. But like... Huh? 
Oh, I see. It's these are the donor facts. These are the donors. Okay. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Was not following for a second. I'm like, these people have C diff. How are they not having GI complaints? You can have C diff, but no diarrhea. Um, I'm here. I'm st- I'm following. Thank you. They they screened all these donors. They or they screened their poop for parasites, C diff, mm. obviously, bacteria um, like Salmonella, Shigella, Yersinia, Campylobacter, HIV, all the hepatitides, CMV, EBV, Histolytica, Strongyloides. Um, but the most important thing, and the reason why I even bring this up, it is it was not tested for ESBL producing E. coli. So just quickly going back to that original article that was published recently, those patients who got the ESBL producing E. coli, those donor feces were not screened for that, which I th- think is interesting. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming they're going to change their practices with um, donor collection. They um, ended up using 15 donors. Any questions? I have a question. Yes. Where, like in America are these poop collection facilities. I know. Like, is there just one big company that does it? Right. It's like any other study. There's a sign on a metro that says, <laughs> do you want to poop for money? <laughs> or no, not. We know not they were here. not paid. No, we don't want you, but you can come poop. <laughs> Truly, what was the incentive then? I haven't. I mean, what is the incentive for a lot of these things i'm bored i'm gonna go poop in a bag for somebody (laughs) yeah maybe they walk around with pride like i have amazing bowel habits and i would like everyone to experience this i have super bowels (laughs) um okay so let's get into methods so the patients who got the fecal transplant they required an ng thank god um and they could be discharged home right after the infusion. They kept a stool diary. They had to record their stool frequency and consistency on day 7, 14, 21, 35, and 70. They also had to get C. diff stool tests um, the second, the third week, the fourth week, and the tenth week. Um, and then a blinded committee, like I mentioned earlier, decided if the patients were cured or not. Uh, and this was based on those stool tests and their stool diary? Exactly. Amazing. And I think they even talked to them on the phone for some of the days. But those details don't really matter that much. But yes, it was a committee of like two people. Um, so now we get into a little bit of statistics. and I don't want to get too cray cray, but they had an early end which is always kind of exciting. It's like, oh, some, some positive finding. So I don't know how they figured out that. I honestly, I don't know in, at what time point they figured out that the fecal transplant patients were doing a lot better. But it got to the point where they had a 43 patients total available data. And they met as a committee and asked the trial gods like can we stop this trial early because we and and do some statistical statistical analysis they had originally wanted 40 people in each of the groups but when they stopped the trial they had 43 patients total so a third of the patients they had collected and were hoping to find positive data so they used this hey bittle pito boundary which is I'm Can you say that one more <laughs> time? I love that so much. Again. Hey, Bittle Pito Boundary. Hey, Pittle Pito. Hey, Bittle Pito Boundary. It rolls off the I tongue. I know. Hey, Bittle Pito. Hey, Bittle Pito. Can we end this trial early? <laughs> sure. Exactly. So it's some sort of stopping rule. Who knew? That basically states you can do an interim analysis 
as long as the pro the probability is less than 0.001. So basically, it, it, I don't even know how I would that's, say this. That's one heck of a significance level. There is a level. less than a one percent, less than a point one percent chance that even if the data goes all the other way, it's still going to be significant. Yes, is what it means to me. I don't know if that's what it, they're trying to say, but that's what it sounds like, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So basically, they just put like very tough stipulations on it. Sounds rather stringent to me. Oh, yeah. Very stringent. That's the word that I'm looking for. That is a tough p-value to meet. Yes. So um, they, so basically they did this. Um, the weird part about the whole thing is that they, they say that it met that criteria, but I actually don't think it did. And so, and I'm, I'll get into that a little bit. Um, but I just I want to hmm. leave. Um, some some mystery to this but so getting into the results so they found um, once they stopped it early again 43 patients total they found that in the fecal transplant group 81% of the fecal transplant group had resolution of C. diff associated diarrhea there were three patients that did have recurrence and so they decided let's just give them another fecal transplant and so three of those patients did it again and two thirds of those patients um, had resolution. And so in total, there was 93.8% success rate of fecal transplant group. However, I have a huge problem with this because they use that 93.8%, which is very significant to, they use that in the hay biddle pedo boundary criteria which to me doesn't make any sense because some of those patients had two treatments and right. that was not their primary, their primary endpoint again was cure without relapse. So theoretically two of those three patients who failed treatment should not necessarily have crossed over into the, uh, you know, successful CDF associated diarrhea cure group. Exactly. Like those people should have just been like a fail, right? Like I, I, that's great that they, got success after getting a second fecal transplant, but I don't think that was part of their, that wasn't their primary endpoint. That's sort of dicey. Yeah. I, Cause you really have to sort of pre-specify that stuff beforehand before you start giving people additional treatments. Um, otherwise it sort of clouds the overall picture and then, you know, you can make the argument that, okay, maybe it needs more time or maybe you need more treatments or, yeah, that's interesting. Right, it it isn't this it isn't the group that they put them in. There's not there's there should be a fourth group that's the you got two fecal transplants group. <laughs> yeah, it's just I I don't know how often we see that of like we're gonna give you this medication and if it doesn't work oh, we're gonna yep, give you yep, more. Here you go. Yep, yep. Oh look look that's significant. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I I thought that was a huge a very weird red flag. So they essentially to meet the criteria of the point zero zero one they had to use that 93.8% mm -hmm. group. That is fascinating though. Very interesting. Now I, I will say that if you use the 81.3% group, so if you just take the fact that 13 out of 16 people um, had resolution of their C. diff, like that's pretty amazing to me. And it is significant compared to the vancomycin and the vancomycin plus bowel lavage. So let's compare first infusion of donor feces with the vancomycin group. The p-value is 0 0.008. So like pre 
still pretty good. And if you compare first infusion of donor feces with vancomycin with Balavage, it is 0.003. So like still really good statistics, but like not enough to end early, in my opinion. Yeah, it just seems like such a small sample size. I don't know. I'm amazed that they were able to have good enough power at at that small sample size, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm just surprised that these p-values are so significant. So significant. Yeah. I mean, intellectually, like... Makes perfect sense. Get get rid of the statistics and you just see those percentages. You're like, I don't have to know a lot. And that sounds like a pretty good difference between the two groups the success of the vancomycin group was mm-hmm. 30 basically 31 percent okay which was how many people was it like four 13, people? 13 people 13 people okay and then the vancomycin with bowel lavage that was 13 people they had 23 percent uh success rate so compare that with 81 percent success rate with the first infusion of donor feces that's like 81% versus 31% versus 20. Yes, exactly. 20% or 23? 23%. 23%. Seems significant to me. Yeah. I mean, without knowing anything. Yeah. Like, you know, don't, don't apply any, <laughs> any basic statistics to it. That's a, that's a pretty yeah. big difference. Yeah. I just, I think ethically it was just a little bit weird that they're like, we did this, Hey, Biddle pedo boundary criteria <laughs> and we met significance. It's like, no, you didn't. What? Um, you basically just <laughs> gave three people another dose of, the the medication or the fecal transplant and then got two of them to stick interesting anyway it's still significant even outside of this hay biddle pedo it's it's significant for their original p-value yes but not for this hay biddle pedo not to justify stopping exactly they should have continued in my opinion yeah i mean and and one of the caveats that i think of with this these sort of randomized trials that are prospective is um it's tough to extrapolate you know, it's tough to extrapolate what's going to happen in the future. That's the point of these studies. And when you cut things short, you, that diminishes your ability to, you know, extrapolate what is going to happen even further. Do you know what, at what time period did they stop? Like how far into the treatments? So, um, because they, uh, recruited patients over a few years, essentially they had 43 patients that had completed the 10 week course. Okay. So not everybody started at the exact same day. Oh, I see. Yeah. It it, it took me reading the article a few times to finally understand that, that all those patients still got to their primary, primary endpoints, but the primary the I guess the primary I guess they just decrease the power by a lot. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because they were they were able to sacrifice some of their power to end the study early because they already had such a positive result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So more yeah, I mean, power to them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh dear. So lame. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. I, I definitely am looking for something to critique. I will admit that, but I think it's a totally valid critique because it just sort of, it, you, you changed the group. Yeah. You, you made, I mean, I like what Ben said. You made a fourth group, you know, you're, you're almost changing it to compare apples to oranges in a, in a way, in in almost a small way, but you know, in a notable way. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, what happens if you have six other patients who it doesn't work for, you know, it's, you, you can't know. I don't know. it's a really I think it's a very valid complaint yeah one other 
part of the study that I really had to dig and find was that the patients who had were in the Vank group, they ended up actually getting fecal transplants, which was awesome. And uh, let's see here. I wrote it down. Seven out of the 17. So there were 19 failures total in the Vank group. Uh, that are basically failures of treatment in both bank groups in both bank groups total. So I'm now putting them just together. Gotcha. They, those 17 of the patients, actually there were 19 failures, but 17 of those patients, they gave fecal transplants. There were of those 17, seven of them failed. So 10 patients had success. They went from bank to now fecal transplant, 10 of them were successful. So that was about 60% compared to the 81%. I actually did a, I don't know, chi-squared, whatever I did. And it, those were not different. So even though it sounds like 81% and 60% sound different, they actually were not. And then they did a, uh, for the rest of those seven failed patients, they did another fecal transplant and just two of those failed. So a lot of the patients ultimately ended up cured, suppose, you know. Right. Well, it seems tough because the, you know, your N is getting less and less, your sample size is getting less and less. So you're losing power to detect what may be a real difference between Mm -hmm. 80 and 60. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the sample size is so small. Yeah, very small. And I mean, overall, I honestly don't know what to make of that. But I did think it was cool that for a big portion of the the patients that failed, they ultimately had success after fecal transplant is what I gathered. My big takeaway would be that it seems promising. Yeah, It totally. seems yeah. like a quality intervention, something that would be recommended to patients maybe once or twice. And I'm hoping that we now talk, you give me a potential reason not to do this. Like, why would I not want to do this for someone? Was there any like adverse effects of the trial mm. or safety problems or other stuff. Yeah. So the adverse events are really not anything worse in my opinion compared to having C. diff. So patients who got fecal transplant or VANC had diarrhea, bloating, abdominal cramps. So I mean, nothing. What they already had. (laughs) Exactly. The, The big thing, which again, circling back to the original article that we talked about was that they have had now a few cases, two cases that have at least been published, maybe more, that where patients are getting bacteremia. But in these, I, I definitely encourage everyone to go read that article and read the two cases. But the important thing to note is that both of the patients who got E. coli, uh, ESBL E. coli bacteremia, it was from the same donor. Hmm. And th- both of the patients were immunocompromised. Ooh, okay. Ah, yep. That'll do it. Yeah. So that, uh, and, and one of them died, which is terrible. One other interesting fact that was in the supplementary appendix was that they looked at the different C. diff isolates. So I didn't really think about this, but there's different types of C. diff. Oh boy. Very interesting. Yeah. So you can dive real deep into C. diff <laughs> and essentially they care. rather not, <laughs> <laughs> but we will. They character they they called each of the type they took PCR and they um, found different types so they they named them type and then a number and then they looked at the national data the national reference laboratory to see if their population of patients and their C diff PCR types were the same as the national group oh that's neat yeah does that yeah make, yeah, yeah does that make sense very cool and they found that. Th- one of the types called type 027 
was uh, there were a lot more of that type in their population and that that type is known to be a very virulent 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 type and the reason why i bring this up is just because i mean that makes sense their patients are getting referred to the study for recurrence of c diff so and, and multiple recurrences of C. diff. So it would make sense that those patients would have a more serious C. diff infection. Sure. Yeah. So they had 7% of this type 027, whereas the general population is found to have, there's 3%. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else I want to talk about? We are- well, Rachel, what about our patient? Mm, Does yeah. this fit? Yeah, so what do you guys think? So remember, this was a lady with lupus. No, got it. <laughs> so you, we didn't we didn't go through complicated med lists or anything, but I'm going to wager that to some degree she would be immunosuppressed if she's on appropriate mm-hmm. therapy. Exactly. Well, it depends. It depends. If she's, she's taking the Plaquenil. Just on. And she's really good about her Plaquenil. Fair enough. She could she could do it. But I mean, if she's had lupus for a while, she's probably need needs more. Um, something like mycophenolate or... Um, so yeah, probably won't work. Unfortunately, well, won't not that it won't work. It's just not a great idea. And I would be especially hesitant now knowing that we have these, uh, unfortunate brief case reports about patients who are getting back to remake from a fecal transplant. Definitely. Yeah. And I think hopefully now they're starting to screen feces for this, but I don't think there's ever going to be a hundred percent guarantee, and totally. you would ha- that would have to be a conversation with your patient. Of C diff sucks, and it's not like it's benign by any means, but it's not like getting someone else's feces is all fun and games. <laughs> no one is saying that for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do you want an NG tube down your <laughs> down your throat and get feces pushed through it at <laughs> thirty cc's at a time? Well, when you say it that way. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Say it slower. Um, <laughs> put it in slower. Um, okay. <laughs> Too far. Uh, um, I know what we're editing out. <laughs> this is all staying in. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I think I really want to, I, I may be repeating myself, but what this study did not look at is fecal transplant in patients who have a a first recurrence of C. diffs. Now, some of the patients in their trial may, it may have been their first recurrence, but they did not dive deep into what exactly like this amount of patients, this was their first recurrence, this amount of patients, this was their second recurrence. All we knew is that the patients had had C. diff in the past. Really? Hmm. Yes. They didn't do any subgroup analysis or any like a first current second. That Mm -mm. that really muddies it for me. Uh, Yeah. And that makes the patients crossing over or sorry, they did not cross over. They stayed in the same group. Mm -hmm. However, they received different interventions. They received additional interventions. That, that changes the whole context of the question for me a little bit. Yeah. I definitely would have liked to know. I, I just, I think it would be so interesting to know is just make a, a whole nother group of, patients this is their first recurrence because then maybe we could start using it earlier on instead of patients getting these three months of vancomycin and and if all these patients i mean i don't think this was the case but if all these patients this was their fourth recurrence of c diff that really changes things yeah in my big mind. time i agree i i just can't stop thinking about two doctors sitting in a room and calling people cured from c diff poop no poop poop <laughs> 
they have a big they have a large blackboard and just one yeah. med student is writing like check or writing poop next to some people and no poop next to other like people sweating yes oh frantically right through they're not cured poop <laughs> so let's talk about conclusions what have we learned fecal transplant probably good yeah well <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it. I I would venture to say it is to some degree. You know where this exactly falls in your recommendations for which recurrence and which exactly which patients. In general, as long as you're probably not immunosuppressed, because those case reports scare me. I think this is probably a good intervention in someone with recurrent C diff, after an appropriate conversation with your doctor and acknowledging the risks of which they're you know are some pretty significant ones. Yeah. That's a very reasoned approach. I try. But I still think it's poop. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. It is indeed poop. Um, it is poop. I clipped before when I said poop, so I'm going to say it again. Poop. <laughs> it is it's, poop. It no, is I just, poop. I don't like that they created a pseudo fourth group and they were like, well, well look, we fixed it. Everything's fine. Um, I don't know. I just, I get nervous with low sample sizes. Yeah. So I just want to see bigger sample sizes. That's super fair. More poop. More poop. That's so what we need. More poop. NG tubes. Yes. And I think overall it was, it, it could have been higher powered. Yeah. Fecal transplant sounds like a fun idea. It may actually be helpful, beneficial for some patients, especially with recurrent C. diff. But I would like another study that breaks down patients who this is their first recurrence. Now we're going to try um, fecal transplant and also follow them longer than 10 weeks. I would love Agreed. a trial that follows them for like a year because you see patients all the time who had a C. diff infection like a year ago, a few months ago. So 10 weeks. I mean, yeah. A prospective trial that followed them for a significant period of time would be so helpful. I feel like we'd learn so much more about the natural history of C. diff. Mm -hmm. I agree. And also the actual guideline-based treatment of C. diff, these are very high doses of vancomycin Mm -hmm. that are not guideline-based. It's Oh, I love that. I love that you brought up the 500 milligram. Why? Why do they use that? I don't know. I mean, I I get that you're trying to like completely erase any evidence of C. diff with a high dose of vanc, but that's just not, it's not in the guidelines. So why don't we do a trial that uses the guideline-based therapy? Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, thanks guys. I hope you enjoyed talking about feces Rachel, like I did. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was really great. High I, quality. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I never thought I'd enjoy something this poop related mm-hmm. so much. Oh, I was just so excited to talk about it. Thank you, Rachel. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Boop. I want to just give a quick shout out to... Well, I guess I don't have to give Ryan Dickton a shout out because he's here. Thanks, Ryan. You're welcome. And You the, can still shout him out. I mean. Shout out to Ryan. <laughs> and Aaron. I can't wait to see what kind of graphic he yes. makes with poop. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> check, everyone check oh. out Aaron Miller at Useless Med School Memes. Useless Med School Memes? Useless Med School Notes on Instagram. Uh, follow him. He does some great stuff. And again, thank you all for listening. If you could uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to your podcasts on and leave a comment and some feedback. We would love that. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It's lit. Woo! It's lit. I'm having trouble linking those two things in my head. So, the... Oh!
The smacking. I heard it. I did it. That's uh, bad. No, yep. you don't smack compared to me. I smack. I don't know. I no, think if, if we had a competition, I think he no. Yeah. It's a bad competition. You it, don't want to win it. <laughs> Wait, no, I really felt. Maybe I just, maybe I just hear it. I, I just really badly uh, heard it. I don't know. Okay. I say I'm so. Gonna, wow, it's like really. So, because I upped the game. Okay. Um, 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 <laughs> Should, so how do I get rid of that? Do I speak Drink further back? Drink water. 